Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to my new friend, Kalu James. With uh, He's the band leader of Kalu and the Electric Joint. He's performed at numerous and some of my favorite places and festivals, South by Southwest, Bonnaroo in 2019. You opened up for Panic in La Playa in 2019, and then also you've opened up for Questlove and, and uh, remarkably... John uh George Clinton and P Funk. Yeah, that was fun. Was that that was for a whole tour? No, it wasn't for a whole tour. It was a show here in Austin at the Empire Control Room, I remember. Okay. Yeah. Did you get to hang out with uh George? Clinton? Man, I, I have this thing where I almost often try not to meet my heroes. <laughs> yeah. It's just a thing for me. Um you know, they could be having a bad day, and um, I often don't think I can get to the point where I give them the grace that you should give people because they're human. So instead of putting myself in that predicament, I just take myself out of it. The art is incredible enough for me, you know, that's why they become my heroes. And uh, I've had this conversation with a lot of friends, and they're just like, you need to get over your fears, and, and I, I get that. Uh, however... You know, the music and the art almost often always does that for me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the point is, is what to what you're talking about is we're all human, right? Right. And we right. all, we, regardless of whom, if you're Mick Jagger or George Clinton, they all, everybody has their trials and tribulations in yeah. day-to-day life. Yeah. And whenever I meet somebody... I haven't met anyone of that magnitude or stature, but I would just try to treat them. I'd be nervous, but I'd try to treat them like just a normal person. Yeah. They don't like to be clawed at and and have a number of selfies. Yeah. I I mean, I believe they're empathetic enough to be able to extend that to them. However, who knows? I might be having a bad day myself. So um, it's just best for me. The, The rule has been to just have that you know a little bit of a of a distance plus also you know there was like 20 people um uh you know He's on stage exactly right? yeah, yeah. you know so it's i want to crowd people <laughs> yeah i'm and so that was just at the empire you said that was an empire control room yes yeah and that was what year i believe that was 2019 as well was that south by it wasn't South by. It was a it was a show um, they had here in town. He had three nights, you know, which is incredible because the George Clinton you think of is you know dreads. It's like all this, you know. It's it's everything. It's him in, you know, in 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 that form of of you know the mothership and all that. 
And the George Clinton right now almost looks like a blues man, you know, with the fedora and like clean shaved and everything. Really? You know? Yeah. I haven't pretty, seen him in a while. Yeah. It's, it's, I think if you see him, if you don't look close enough, you might walk by him. Uh, well, you probably wouldn't because there'll be like 20 people around him. So exactly. You, you, yeah. you know exactly. He's always that. got that entourage. Yeah. 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 That's wild. How many times have you played at South by Southwest going back to that? Man, I don't know. Um, I, I moved to Austin in 07 and it took quite a long time to get into the official showcases. Um, so they're always unofficial showcases surround because South by is, is almost like having a Walmart or a HEB that comes into your town. <laughs> It creates this cult, you know, it creates a right. subculture where literally every people begin to build things around it. South by is very much like that, you know, where they're unofficial showcases that are not affiliated to South because there are so many people here that this is that that's the right thing for any entrepreneur to do is to try to create something where you take advantage of the fact that there's so many people from all over the world here. So I played those for a while. I think it's maybe around maybe 2014 or 2013 that I started getting into the official showcases. Yeah. And I love South by Southwest. It gets, sometimes it gets a bad rap, but my favorite thing is to meet bands from all over the world. Right. And uh, just in dive bars. Mm -hmm. And it can be a hassle, but that's what I love is discovering new music. Mm -hmm. And you're originally from Nigeria. You moved here when you were 18? I moved to the U.S. when I was 18, yeah. Where did you move? I moved from originally Nigeria to New York. In the city? Um, uh, I spent a bit of time, but mostly Rochester in New York. What brought uh, you there? School, you know? School and, and I had a whole different life. Um, than what is and you know of what you do know or see me as at 18 i was married you know um had the whole life of computers and you know go to school and all that which i did do um and that shifted uh fairly quickly uh just as a kid moving to the u.s at that time there's identity crisis. There's, you know, the coldest you've ever felt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Rochester's pretty close to uh, to Canada. So you have the lake effect snows and how to bundle yourself and all that. Um, so I, it became really apparent to me as someone who's always written poetry and someone who's always sung at choirs and different acapella groups back in, in Nigeria and Bene, which is right next to Nigeria, French speaking country, that I I had I had things I needed to say. So I picked up a guitar and just like everything happens, you know, you pick up an instrument or you pick up a certain craft and before you know it, the universe just provides people who are in that, you know, because that's what you're yearning for. Uh yeah. That's how I never wrote a song until I moved to the U.S., until I began to have all this, you know. But you were, how old were you when you started to play the guitar? 18. So right when you moved here mm -hmm. to the U.S.? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. And what brought you to Austin? Music. Um, speaking of South by actually, I uh, um, in 2007, I was living the typical immigrant life, which is, you know, you work 40 hours, you send money home. Um, I was in school then as well. I'd gotten to the point in Rochester where I was running two or three open mics, playing shows. And I pretty much had like a mental breakdown, like to the point where my doctor at that point in time was like, you, you need to pick school or work. You need a break, really. Uh, <clears throat> so I went on the workers comp and I was home um, finishing up school. And my friend, one of my friends who I moved to the United States with, Allah, uh, was going to school in Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. And he got accepted into grad school in Austin. And he said, because I was going to move to New York after, uh, to the city after um, my school, my schooling. And he said, why don't you try Austin and like most New York people, you're just like, what the fuck am I going to do <laughs> yeah. in Texas? Um, however, he planted the seed and it happened that I had DirecTV. DirecTV had all access to South by Southwest. So I stayed home and I watched South by Southwest for as long as it was. And I just could see this picture of the life that I wanted the ecosystem I knew that I would thrive in. So I gave two weeks notice at my job and they said, you're already out anyways, so you might as well leave. Mm -hmm. So um, on five days after my 25th birthday, I got in a car with my friend and we drove straight down here. She drove the first 12 hours, of course, taking breaks, and I drove the remainder got here <clears throat> i had uh this uh ford escort that had like five different colors you know <laughs> um and i remember on my way here and preparing to get on the road i'd reached out to AAA. you know you have to do all those things to make sure that you're okay and i remember them saying well you can get this little package but it's only 10 mile towing or you can get the bigger package and it's a hundred miles towing, but it doesn't kick in until seven days. And for me, I was like, I'm already gonna be there. So I remember looking at my car, putting my hand in the hood and saying, if you get me to Austin, I'm gonna write you a song. And one of the very first songs I put out under my name back in the day is Austin Bound. And there are literally lines there, you know, please, oh please, car don't die. We got a hundred more miles to cruise. I'm Austin Bounds, got my feelings checked at the door. And I came down here, he had convinced, he was subletting and he had convinced the people he was subletting that there was a stranger who was gonna come in, sleep on his couch for, or sleep on their couch for however many months. And that ended up being four months. And then <laughs> I moved into a room there cause someone left and you know, literally the rest is history. It was my guitar, a computer, and we're talking, you know, tower computers back in the day, right? Oh, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we're talking tower computers and some clothes and and uh, and the little TV that I had. That was it. That was it. That was the leap. 
And so you got here in 07, and then tell me how you met JT Holt, your lead guitarist, and yeah, formed the band, man. Yeah, so I moved here, and I started playing a lot of open mics, because i that's what I knew, was open mics. Open mics are a really amazing way to um, not only showcase your craft to an audience that is just really loving and accepting it's also a really good way back in the day you had clipboards so i had these clipboards where i would take you know um people's email addresses and then spend in the next day or two wondering if that was an eight or an a you know <laughs> all yeah. that and i was amassing a good amount of emails to the point where i just knew that i wasn't going to reach out to any of the premier clubs until i felt like i had a good amount of people that may show up to that show. And that's what I did is I played a lot of open mics, Runamaya, <clears throat> which doesn't exist anymore, um, was one of those places. And there was, luckily for me, there was this live band that played accompanied people. Got to become friends with those cats, was about to record a record. And uh, I had, they had been playing the songs this whole time and the bass player had a studio so i had them play on the record and after they played on the record they became my band and these were session players incredible um 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 in all their rights and it got to the point where i finally ended up moving into momos momos doesn't exist anymore but momos was a venue that i reached out to and even knowing fully well that i could bring people in my first shows were you know at 6 p.m happy hour it's, you're basically playing to the um uh, the door guy and the bartender and you come and find out later on like if those two people give the green light then then you're good to go. Then you're good to go. Right. And uh, though uh, Paul Avesi um, owned Momos, and Paul Avesi is the person who started Cosmic. Um, you know, the Cosmic that we know, the coffee shop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, him and I'm sure a bunch of other partners. That was where I met JT. JT was playing in a band called Dirty Bird. Once again, I had mentioned earlier, and I don't like going close to people that I really do enjoy what they do. So... Um, JT was just, the Dirty Bird is this incredible band. JT was amazing. I was like, man, that dude is incredible. Uh, never knowing if I was going to get the chance to work with him or not. And it didn't take until I started dating a girl, went on tour, and during, on t when, while I was on tour, I heard from her that her twin sister had been hanging out with JT. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> so I came back and... You know how it is, eh? like we're these two guys dating this twin, so automatically in the family, you hang out a lot more. His band fizzled out. I was like, that is the fucking perfect moment. Um, uh, and we just latched on. And like I like to say, he's my one of my longest relationships because, you know, my relationship with that, our relationships really faltered with those two. Um, uh, but we got together and, you know, started writing music and it's been probably about 12 years now or so you know about 10 or 12 years now 
And then your album, Time Undone, that came out end of 2017. That, and that, that came out in 2017, yes. And it took you and JT and the rest of the band, how long to record that? Well, you know, I was still recording with JT. I'd recorded the offering uh, Flesh under my name. And what happened is in 2014, we started uh, a residency at the Continental Club Gallery upstairs on Mondays. It was supposed to be a monthly thing. And then it stretched three years. Three years. Three years. <laughs> so it went from Mondays to Wednesdays to Thursdays to, oh, we can play downstairs now at certain times. Oh, wow, we're headlining now downstairs type deal, right? Amassing a bunch of different songs. Going through, um, I'd lost my dad. Um, JT had uh, <clears throat> gotten out of uh, his marriage and we just both were in just serious dumps. And how you churn or turn, you know, lemon into lemonade and all that, you know, um, was we started writing from exactly where we were at that moment like pretty much each other's companion. And it was this really magical and beautiful moment where everything that I was writing, he, it resonated with him and vice versa. So when it got to record the record at JT studio, we had Brett Orison, who is the producer, um, who has worked with Widespread Panic. Um, currently right now, he is the front of house for Jack White. Oh, wow. And uh, he produced the record. And when he was done producing the record, he said, this is just too good for it to be put on the shelves. So we started a record label, Space Flight Records. Um, uh, and uh, Brett was pretty much the overseer and the CEO of everything. And now it's transformed into one of the very first nonprofit record labels um, uh, and you know that really was the lunch of Kaloo and Electric Joint because in so many ways after the residency there is this thing that happens with you know I wouldn't say with artists I'll speak for myself I, it got to a point where there was that question of are people coming to see us or are they coming to are they coming because of the Continental Club? Everyone knows the Continental Club. Of course. It's, you know, it, it's, it's international. Legendary. Of course. So we made a conscious decision to move uh, the residency and make it like a bi-weekly or I think it was a bi-weekly then um, over at Stay Gold, which is in Cesar Chavez. And it was just a new venue that had just opened up that was trying to get artists that weren't cover bands or anything and... My friend uh, Samantha was uh, was the booker then there, and we had this concept of well, it can't just be Kalu James; it has to be something different. So we partnered up with a friend of mine, Tori Elena, and she since then she's been in charge of all our branding. Everything you see is Tori, um, and uh, we created posters for every single show, different posters, her art, all that. And after four or five months, it was like, okay, yeah, no, people are definitely coming to see us, right? So it was Kalu James presents the electric joint. 
something different, right? And I remember after that residency, I went home back to Nigeria and uh, we just kept mulling over what are we going to be called, blah. And JT sent me a message, I think through WhatsApp. And he was like, dude, I got it. It's Kalu in the electric joint. And that really was, <clears throat> that became the name of the band. And that translate, and, and of course the next step was releasing the record, recording the record. And Brett, you know, took that on with Spaceflight Records. Spaceflight Records gave us the ability to be able to have a national, um, to be able to have a team behind us that would push the record through other, you know, publicity, you know, like everything you have to do, which is the publicity and like the radio. And we, for the first time ever in my career, really was able to get that push into past local, into the national levels. And, you know, that's where all the, the Bonnaroos and, you know, all those other shows. And who, uh, I saw that members, who played from Widespread Panic on the album? Um, Dave Schools played bass on- uh, Which song? Uh, on Stay. Okay. And on that same, uh, on that same rec, uh, sorry, on that same track, you have, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he's in the band War on Drugs, was on that um, track as well. Which instrument? Uh, he played, he did like all the, all the, um, all the wood instruments. Like, so like the, all the, uh, the saxophone, the big berry, yeah, like yeah. all that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sad that I can't remember his name right now. Um, but yeah. And then of course we had the drum, our drummer at that point in time became John Spies, who is in Grupo Fantasma, Mami Chicha. I mean, there's just like. You know, for the first time in a long time, there were these names that were, you know, known being connected into this record. And JT in his own right has done stuff with, you know, Seven Walkers, um, uh, with uh, um, Papa Molly. I mean, it's, he's been, he's been a, you know, a engineer and a studio owner for well over, let's say, 15, 20 years now. And did Brett bring Dave Schools here? Where where did you guys record? No, it just the track was flown over. Okay. What was happening was Brett at that point in time um, was uh, doing front of house for Widespread Panic. So he's playing these tracks that he's really excited um, about. And Dave Schools is like, what is that? At least this is what he's telling me. What is that? And then he's like, dude, I want to get him. I want to get in on that. And that's really how that happened. He's one of my favorite basses. He's incredible. I mean, he's a badass. Yeah. Six string modulus. Uh, he plays the bass like a guitar. He's so multifaceted. And uh, so that's how you guys got down to Panic and La Playa. So from that, yes, the manager teams were all connected obviously through that um uh we had a manager who came in right on on that moment with uh because of brett and because of the music steve lopez who was the tour manager for widespread panic, panic. Yep. exactly so we absolutely got thrown into you know the widespread which did massive i mean a, a lot of good for for us as a band, especially just getting into the national 
scene at that point in time. Did you get to hang out with them much in Mexico? Um, I mean, <clears throat> if you go to Panic El Playa, there's like literally, you know, 3,000, 4,000 rabbit fans. Yeah, um, so I did get to see them, uh, you know, like behind the stage and, <laughs> right. you know, when there's like little breaks here and there. Uh, I got to, you know, George Porter was there. One of, also one of my favorite other yeah, yeah, yeah. top five yeah. bases. So um uh, he he actually have gotten to like um open up for him twice over at the Maple Leaf in New Orleans uh, when we passed through and it was just awesome to one of my favorite moments is we were playing our set and JT was like, You see what you see that? I, I said, What are you talking about? <laughs> and I looked over and George Porter is in his balcony just watching us while we play from the hotel from his hotel yeah, room his you know yeah, just, yeah. just sitting there in his suite just like checking it out you know um and then we finally got to meet him later on um within those four days but it was wild it was wild to go from i'd gone to nigeria to <clears throat> deal like with my dad's death and a bunch of other stuff and then um and then move and uh no sorry i'm getting my whatever's crossed it was my sister's wedding and nigerian weddings are three events so we have um ikwaka which literally translates to knocking on the door which is very traditional is that like hey i heard or i saw this woman outside on the streets and i heard that she lives here so it's very much like the introduction right and then there's ibumai which translates to carrying wine. And that's the traditional wedding. And in our culture, I'm from the Igbo tribe, and in our culture, once that's happened, you are pretty much, it's done, like the wedding is done. Because that. that's that. Now, if you're Christian or Muslim, you can choose to do the other part. So we're Christians, uh, race Christians, say, and, uh, um, I so my sister had the third wedding with like 700 guests. So like I mean the it wasn't really a vacation, you know? Yeah, like it really massive. it was just a lot. <laughs> it's quite a huge it was gathering. Huge massive gathering. It's not in the same spot like it is in different cities and all these things. So um I came back and I was just really excited to go <laughs> Because I think I came home and I think 10 days after or seven days after was Panic Ala Playa in Mexico. I'm like, this is a vacation. This there is a go. vacation. Yeah. Like, I, this is, you know, my reward for all that. Um, but yeah, it was incredible. And do you think you'll play or open up for those guys in, in the near future at all? I mean, I who's to say? Yeah, is the answer is the question? Would you love to? Fuck yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, they you know there were there were just so many artists there. It wasn't necessarily just us. You know, it was just a whole. Um, uh, Eric Krasno was there. There was just a lot of you know artists, and and they had different stages, and we played at a different stage. It wasn't directly in front of uh, of widespread, you know. What's so funny is, is you and I met almost exactly two years ago. Yes. And Utah, mm -hmm. Park City. Mm -hmm. Do you remember uh, 
how we met? Oh man, I remember it all. <laughs> I, 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 off from that trip, you know, I came home and I started writing a book. Um, and I'm like, and the second rewrite of the book and, you know, it'll come out eventually, but it was important for me to get it out of me. Um, cause it's just an amazing, incredible moment in time to be able to see the United States, right? Oh yeah. Um, no one on the road, tra uh, gas is as cheap as can be. You, there are no bars. There's nothing that distracts you from yourself. And that's pretty much the journey I was and was realizing that opportunity and knowing that for the first time in a while, I was able to afford, I could afford to do that. You know, um, uh, there's a moments where you're like, you know, thank God for living in a country where there's Uncle Sam, right? Because you can actually go do that. And for me at that moment, I also had, uh, I was going through all these other things in my head where as a Nigerian, I do have so many family members who couldn't work because of the pandemic. So there was just this dual life of knowing that if I was living in Nigeria, I would not be able to, maybe with as much ease as I, I, I was doing at that moment, um, fulfill certain duties. So like every time something came in because I wasn't going to bars, I wasn't, Drive, I wasn't doing any of those things. I was able to like break off money and send, you know, but even with that, it still felt like this trip was a frivolous trip in so many ways. However, I had to do it. I had to do it for myself. I had to do it. Uh, um, I had so many friends who are married that who couldn't take the trips, friends who had kids, friends who had essential, who are essential workers and people really just didn't have the means. It felt like for the first time, all the, um, sacrifices I make in living in a small place and keeping my expenses really low were, were kind of paying off in so many ways. So when I took that trip, it, it, it just never left me that I was doing something that um, most people couldn't. And <clears throat> kind of like being broken in a after leaving a relationship and turning all those into positive things by turning into a song where people you know who are going through that can connect to those emotions i felt like it was i won't call it a duty i just needed to write something for from a standpoint that people could sit on the passenger seat and enjoy a trip yeah, depending on whenever it is, right? Of course. Um, uh, and I had I was also scared shitless because Ahmad Arbery had just gotten murdered, so had um, 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 George Floyd. My license was expired, insurance expired, check engine light on. There were just so many things, mushrooms in the car, and like, there were just <laughs> all these moments. And 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 for me, I just had to keep pushing forward, right? And it was on the back of that trip that we met. I, that we met in Utah, and I remember because I, I'm saying all this because you literally have a whole sector, a section in in the book. Because because I'm not kidding because of how we met because you know I, I <laughs> meeting Sarah and hanging out. She's like, oh yeah, this this friend of mine is going to come <laughs> meet us, and then we absolutely forget. Um, cause time keeps going by. I haven't seen her in a while. 
And then she looks at her phone and she's like, oh shit, Tom has been texting me. <laughs> yeah. So we close our tab real quick, trying to get you, can't get you in the phone. You had sent a picture of where you were. And then, we, you know, we get there and I mean, between, I, it's just massive between that and like the triple A guy needing the triple A. He couldn't get up there. Like my car, which is an Acura TLX, it had no business on that mountain. Dude. Nah. But I I was I'm adventurous and it was crazy. I I just thought maybe I can get this. And then of course, nothing's marked up there. Yep. And I mean, this was broad daylight. And I still tried to get around this rock and I got stuck. And then, of course, I called AAA and the guy can't even, he can't, they can't even, find he, you. He can't find me, but he also said, I don't have the right winch to come in. Like, I know that area fairly well, but I can't, it's going to take me, I don't know if I can get to you. Plus, also, that's when you were lucky to be able to get reception. Because I think that that was also part of it is it that was the those, meadow. I found were, a meadow they, <laughs> and just stood there and was able to call him. So by the time I met you for the first time, literally your head was on fire. Like it you, was. like I, I in the book I have it as like <laughs> you know a train with just smokes bellowing out and you smoking like a <laughs> fucking chimney. I mean there was just all these things going on, and then having to get there and not see the car, no, sorry, not see the driver, but see the hood popped open with smoke bellowing out of it. And then this guy comes out of the ravine from somewhere with a jerry can and water. And like, how the fuck did you know that there was a ravine there? And then to the little kid who actually finally comes and helps push the car out. Yeah, yeah, he came in a, a big ass truck. Yeah, and, yeah, of course I do. And then there was a question of like, hey man, we need to pay you. He's like, that's fine. I just need Sarah's number. You know, like <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I remember. So I was pissed off because I'm thinking to myself, I drove thousands of miles from Austin, Texas, all the way up to Utah with my dog Rex. Mm -hmm. Did I just fuck up my car? And that's what's going on. And then, uh, he just shows up, and I'll never forget, he looks at me and says, you're a maniac, <laughs> just like that. What were you thinking? And I said, I don't know. I just, during that time, we, I was in a similar situation where um, the world shut down, and it was just my dog, Rex, and me, and I was getting stir crazy. Mm -hmm. And... So with the world, everybody working remotely, and at the time, I just, uh, I said, I got to, I, I love to travel, and I said, I, I got to get out of here. And uh, we met, it's such a, I had the itch to be creative, and I mean, you were listening to some of my raw recordings, you remember this shit? Yeah, I remember, I remember, I remember, I remember your jokes. I remember that's 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 the first thing I was thinking was like for someone who's like he's a budding comedian he really isn't funny because at this moment in time you were so angry I was you were, pissed you, and I, I was, and I totally get it I know it was the new car and I remember trying to help and you were so particular <laughs> on how the car could be touched and moved and I'm like what is going on it's and so it, funny because it's, it's like the only thing in my life that I'm that I'm friggin 
pretty uptight about. <laughs> and it was a new car, so I absolutely get it. It took us, it took your car being unstuck and us going to that rest that restaurant or whatever to eat. That's actually when I really began to be like, oh, now I'm meeting Tom. Yeah, I finally now, opened up. I'm like, now I'm meeting, now I'm meeting Tom. Now, now I can, I, now, <laughs> now I can see the humor, you know? Oh, because I would be the exact same way too. So I totally got it, you know. But for someone who hadn't met you, was just meeting you, I'm like, what the fuck is going? It was on? wild. It man. was absolutely wild. It was absolutely wild. So tell me about this book, like what? Is it just, is it set in 2020? It is, you know, it's- uh, When do you, what's the, how does it start? So just like you going stir crazy, I'm used to playing a lot of shows. I'm used to, um, <clears throat> when I'm not playing, I drive Uber and Lyft. I've done that for a long time um, to leave, you know, keep a roof over my head. And for all that to just stop, and I live in a studio that is maybe 350 square feet, maybe. I started going stir crazy as well. And uh, um, that began like my big uh, odyssey into mushrooms cause, like, and meditation. Cause I had to be like, oh, it's just me here and this fan. It's me here and this fan. There's nothing else but me here and this fan. And these books that I have that I haven't never touched, but I do love reading, so I should get into reading. That's what was going on in my mind. That's all the things going on. Um, and you know, normally when you would like microdose for like a 0.6 or 0.8, these are, I'm talking hero, I'm talking like fucking five grams because where the fuck else am I going? Where else I am was, I going? I was there too, man. <laughs> where else am I going but here? So um, coupled with like a relationship that I, that, um, that had ended um, a year before that and was still, you know, kinder, uh, uh, you know, relationships. I mean, it's, they're just never. Some people are really good at just cutting. Um, I'm never really good at doing that. Closing I think, the door. Yeah, I, I just, I'm not. Uh, so, I had started therapy about a year before that, as a result of the relationship ending, <clears throat> and coming to terms with a lot of, you know, inner child, all these other things in my life that. I had never um, dealt with a lot of times where you turn the other cheek, you know, and you turn the other cheek and then before you know it, your head's a bubble head because it just keeps going. You know, like there were just so many of those, like, who am I? What am I? What am I outside of music? And all these other things that were going on um, in, in my life. However, when it got to the pandemic, I felt like because of all the therapy that had been happening, I saw it as an opportunity. You know how you go to biology class and then there is theory and then there is, you know, there is lab work. The pandemic was lab work for me. Everything that I had, quote unquote, had been said to me in the therapy, which I was still doing, right, um, through the pandemic, but now it was, you know, through Zoom or whatever, everything now felt like lab work. So when you ask about the book, 
there's a lot of those things coming up. There's a lot of things with my dad that is in that book, like being in Joshua Tree and looking at Skull Rock, which is something I've always wanted to see, but you're in Joshua Tree and there is nobody. There is no fucking human being. So like it Particularly feels- at that time. At that time. I can so, imagine. So it feels like you're either the first man on earth or the last man <laughs> yeah, on earth. Apocalyptic. You know? Yeah, almost. very, 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 right? very. And so you're looking, I'm looking at Skull Rock and like, I'm, you know, I'm sure psilocybin maybe had something to do with it too, but like I'm seeing my dad's face. Like there were just all these things coming up for me. Um, so the book there, yes, there is this trip, you know, it starts with, it. first of all, I, I called, it's called currently right now, the working title is Don't Need No License. You know? Don't Need No License. Yeah, double yeah. negative. Um, <clears throat> but I, I write songs, I write poetry. I don't really write, I haven't written like a long form. So you could see the struggle in the book. It starts from like, are you gonna do it? Gonna do it. That's another chapter. In it. Theta. And that's really how I got to the point where it's it went from it looking like prose, uh, for me it looking like poetry or songs to beginning to form itself into, you know, this like on the road, you know, type. Yeah, uh, Kerouac, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt my trip was mm -hmm. like. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there is a, there is pretty much a little bit of everything. There is, it's, it's, I, you know, I am driving this car at the same time my brain is somewhere totally different as well as there as well, you know? Um, and and those were the standpoints of where that's coming from, is me dealing with um, what it feels like to be not just a black man in America at that moment because of, of everything that is happening, a black man who came from a black continent to the United States, that shows a path of assimilation, right? Um, uh, and 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 then all the times that I have said yes when I should say no, and uh, um, I, I don't even know if I should say I should say no. All the times that I said yes when I meant to say no, um, and and then just what my eyes are feasting on, and coming becoming more comfortable with myself was really what was going on. I, I read like, you know, when it started, when the pandemic started, I really couldn't write anything. I remember having these conversations with my therapist being like, am I really, am I really like an artist? Because like, this is all I've really wanted is just time to be able to write and it's fucking here and I'm doing nothing. And I remember telling her, her telling me, it's forced. This is a forced isolation. It's not like you said, oh, I'm going to go away to the woods somewhere, you know, and spend exactly. two months and do this. Like, be easy on yourself. Be easy with yourself, which is a reoccurring theme in my life. Be easy with myself. Um, um, especially being raised the way <clears throat> I was raised. So, it, uh, it, it, it really ends up just being me examining myself and at the same time giving an account of things going on. You know, being in Portland and hearing on the radio and in the TV, whatever, is that this is a, a, a city in siege, you know, because of, you know, Black Lives Matter um, and uh, the, the movement and to the point where 
you know, the president at that time sends in the National Guard, yet I am walking on these streets and it's not, that's not what's going, you know, it's, it's down to a four block, you know, there were just, there are just these dichotomies of everything that I'm seeing. And I think more than ever at that moment, there were no distractions. There were no, there, were, there was in the club, there was in the bar, there was in the restaurant, you know, there's like, you know, cold cuts in my white and red little cooler at gas stations that were open if they were open. You know, those were things that were going, that was really going on. So it, it got me to just get really confident with myself, knowing fully well that every single step, push of the pedal, I was doing voluntarily and there was movement happening with that. And I'm sure you can relate Absolutely, to that. Absolutely, man. That trip for me was a game changer. A lot of people, family, not um, a few friends, but a lot of people were really puzzled and baffled like, you're doing what? <laughs> but uh, it was, it gave me such inner strength. I mean, didn't mm -hmm. I realized I had Rex. I mean, you were by yourself mm -hmm. entirely, mm -hmm. but I had my dog Rex as my companion. And for instance, remember in South, um, excuse in New Mexico, you couldn't even, uh, you weren't even supposed to be there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, those were those. So Tom, those were the that's that. Those were the scary things that were happening to me because you know, yes, I had. Like you were doing it. I had friends who were doing it, but they they don't have the same complexion I do. That's right. So they didn't really have to. I, I was checking AM radios and like it, Texas was becoming the epicenter of COVID at that point in time. And from what I'm hearing on the radios, they are checking license plates, right? Um, uh, you're supposed to quarantine when you go to certain, you know, to places when you cross state lines um, without having the license. And I'm, and I'm sure so many people could say, well, I didn't have a license to, and I took that trip. Yes, but it's different. It's absolutely different. You know, I remember going through like, um, I think it's called Dorset, um, Arizona or something in like two Confederate flags popping up within 30 minutes type deal. And immediately, you know, I am doing what you do to calm yourself down. Like I turn off the podcast that I'm listening to, <clears throat> may have been a rap song, I don't know. I switched it to Bob Marley, you know? I some certain times on the trip, I switched it to, to Richard Pryor, right? Something to get a laugh, something to get myself out of that, you know? Um, I remember like, there, yeah, there was just a lot. And I, you know, there's certain places, New Mexico, uh, Arizona was one of those places I was in the windy, windy roads hill or something. And I remember just staring and bawling, just fucking opened up out of nowhere because, because of, my upbringing and my friends and be it the arts or whatever, I'm exposed to a lot more people that are not just my skin color, right? Like I'm exposed to a lot of different people. And that itself is the carpet sometimes, my magic carpet ride to keep moving and getting in and out of different spaces. 
And then there are people who are, you know, have a different socioeconomic um, status than I do, or live in the ghetto and uh, like all they really have ever heard or in section, you know, section eight and all they really have heard or seen is what happens to them physically and what they hear on the radio or what they hear in the TV. And my whole thing was like, here is nature. Here is the healing properties of, of nature right here. And so many people that look like me have to worry about just being there by themselves to just exist. You know, I, 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 I was in, <clears throat> in this, uh, I was in this swimming hole on the way to Bozeman and I'd pulled up uh, the trip. The first two, the first and the third week was by myself. The second week um, was with my friend Tori, who mm -hmm. does the brand and the band or the, the image for the band, a really good friend of mine, because she was moving from Ventura, Ohio area back to Bozeman because she couldn't afford to live there anymore. And she had this 1995 Subaru or something like that. Uh, and I was already going to take that trip. So I was like, hey, let's just caravan because our parents are going to meet her halfway or something. And I, um, because they couldn't trust the car. It's been like, it's, it's, it's like it's been an heirloom that has been passed oh, down yeah. for so long. So I had said, well, I'm on this trip already. So like, and you know these areas. So we just caravan. You're driving in front of me. I drive behind you, which is amazing because I got to have my own experiences and she had to have our own experiences and we meet different places. And because her parents know that route really well, they would give us places to go swim, right? And I remember pulling up, uh, uh, it was like around Spokane, Washington or something, um, taking this off the beaten path into this swimming hall. And I remember pulling up and the first thing I'm hearing is um, country music and these big ass fucking trucks. <clears throat> like the natural instinct, what I've been thinking of it is that you just kind of check yourself, just make sure. And she notices it and she's like, hey, you're okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, we go scope it out. I'm like, yeah, we're going to swim. Absolutely. We take a dip. And as soon as, uh, we get in the water, this guy's dog jumps into the water and starts taking a shit. Mm. And like every <laughs> responsible dog owner, he's just mortified, right? I am so sorry. This, this, this. And I'm like, and I said to him, I was like, it's all right, man. Everyone loves a bidet, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Nice. everyone loves a bidet. <laughs> But it did not, it was never lost in me in that moment that I used humor to make him comfortable because everybody around started laughing. It never was lost to me either that he has never had to learn how to do that. Probably not. You know? Probably um, not. Never learned how to do that. Uh, so these are all the things that are going on in my head in that book um and i'm in a chapter or um and you are in utah <laughs> you are in it's, the chapter of utah. okay is utah one of the chapters because mm -hmm. it was for me it was uh it was marfa which was even more of a ghost town than a fucking ghost town that it is already I anyways marfa. i do too i do too um but it was marfa 
White Sands, Sedona, Joshua Tree, um, uh, Selma, which is right outside of LA. And I got my very first tattoo ever on that trip, which is a whole different story of a guy who I had met here, my buddy Spar. I met in, in Austin when I moved in Austin and we had connected. And so that story is, and I told him if I ever got a tattoo, it will be from him. And, you know, many years later, it's it's from him. And uh, Ojai, Ventura, <clears throat> McKinleyville, like Northern California area. Um, so stories from the last time I was there pops up of, you know, a van breaking down. And so all those, all through like um, uh, Florence, Seaside, Oregon, uh, Portland, Spokane, Washington, um, Bozeman, Yellowstone, Grand Tetons, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, story on that, Utah, Denver. Um, uh, so it was Denver first, then Utah, uh, Santa Fe. And there's a story that happens between me getting to Santa Fe that makes me stay longer and then like float the Rio Grande and Taos and then come home. And, you know, <clears throat> was I really sure that I was going to write a book? That wasn't, that wasn't the plan. I know that I came home and I felt like I did something wrong because I came home back to, from all these unknowns, right? Yeah, of course. Back into my studio and the world still shut down. So that's kind of when I decided, well, oh my God, I, <clears throat> part of decompressing and understanding what I really just went through was to spend time in those photos and those videos and do the research of like, yeah, there's a dope ass tree in Utah, but what is that? Those are aspen trees. What is it about aspen trees? You know, biggest organism, you know, like that's kind of where all that ended up, you know, coming up for me. And, and it gave me time to sp spend another, you know, month in those moments, you know, to kind of get back to the point of being like, oh, okay, all right, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And, you know, it didn't take a month, obviously, but it, there were, you know, it's just like, just little blueprints. And then I just kept working on it and spending more time in those moments because there was nothing else going on. There wasn't shit going on. <laughs> I mean, not particularly, I can imagine for you with music, that must've been really difficult. It was, you know, luckily in so many ways, we got to a moment where we realized, you know, you, you had to, like everyone had to define their pods, right? The band was the pod. And we had this record that we were going to release that we ended up not releasing, which became this huge blessing in disguise because we went and we remixed it or reworked it again a third time. So we spent time doing that. And then for me, I just felt like, I don't know when all these things are gonna end or if it's ending or any of that. And I didn't feel compelled at first to write lyrics or anything. So I focused on books. So I got my words by reading books. It sunk deep into that. And then for music, I got into playing piano sunk into that you know an instrument that i can't remember when last i did play it you know and it hardly touched my guitar and then I, you know i kind of separated that right i was learning something new that engaged me excited me 
<clears throat> allowed me to like sink in. Um, and then I read, you know, a lot of books to satisfy, you know, uh, uh, that aspect. And through all that, I got into production. How do I record myself? And like, oh shit, there are all these sins. And it has nothing to do. It's creating ideas that will be presented to the band eventually. Um, however, how I feel right now is exactly what this is and recording that, you know? And then we got a lot more comfortable in rehearsing because we knew eventually we could see venues shutting down. And we knew that there's gonna, like eventually when it opens up, it's like, it's people who are really ready that are gonna get on the stages and those stages themselves are smaller, are just a lot, the, the options are a lot less. So it got it, we got into having to create content and rehearse, just rehearse, because that's the whole thing. It's like, it's really hard to, with people with different lives and schedules, like rehearsing, we often try to do that a lot. However, you're having to compete with external factors. And then here is this moment where, you know, there is, <laughs> don't get me wrong, there is this virus out there. However, we're keeping each other accountable so that we can come here and just keep at least see each other's faces and 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 then rehearse you know so we spent a lot of time doing that as well but yeah it was <clears throat> it was really tough and also in so many ways i was quite thankful of it too because that whole who am i outside of my craft is something that i just never really you know, like thought about, like, what are you, it's like, what yeah. the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, this is yeah. all I, this is all I do. This is what I, you give. We don't have the eight to five. We don't have the 96. We have, it's every day this. And that can sometimes lead you into some serious depression when what you're, <clears throat> how much you're putting out there, how it's beaming back to you or not, you know, and the separation of, of trying to figure out what, you know, happiness or not even happiness, what um, um, uh, a content or positive uh, image or um, being could look like separated from your quest is just one of the fucking hardest things. I don't, I, I'm not saying that I've figured it out. I just know that I got a l more, um, I got more like reinvigorated with the journey. I felt like there's a little bit of a cushion, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah, an yeah. extra cushion added to, to like, oh yeah, this is why I do this. I fucking do this for real, you know? Like that there's a little, there's, because the well inside of me was just replenished a lot more than it's been in a long, long time. And when you got back from your trip, you started writing this book, obviously, but tell me, you've written, you've sent me Garden of Eden, which I love. Mm -hmm. What is that song about exactly? I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. This is the moments where you have the Dylan, what does it mean to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah. it means to you, you know? Um, uh, yes, of course. I, you know, I, I, 
I'm almost always interested in what it means to the other person that it does to me. Um, Cause <clears throat> that's the thing with arts. Like you put it out there and everyone has their own different, you know, it's funny cause I think music is one of the f only form of art where people are able to ask you that question. Like when you walk into a gallery and someone has their piece, they're not there, right? You show up and you take in whatever it is you're going to get from that, right? Um, Garden of Eden, though, I can say all that and still tell you, Garden of Eden was very much, it, you know, it's part of that fight I was having with <clears throat> myself of being in a relationship, you know? Um, I never call you. I never see you. I'm missing your love, the dog in the kitchen sink. I've been knowing it, yet still ignoring it. I can't seem to find the fault lines. Are we missing something or do we have everything we need? Am I the villain or is this the Garden of Eden? Anytime you are in a relationship where things are either rocky, sometimes it even have to be rocky. Sometimes you're just like, am I settling or is this really fucking good? You question things. You're questioning things all the time, you know? Um, uh, and in so many ways, that's what that song was for me. Um, and it wasn't, it's just like all, it's like an amalgamation of all of the relationships I have been in. And like that, what is it about me that either feels like I'm doing too much or not enough or, you know, all that. And the universality of music is the fact that it is the human condition. Like we are, the themes that I, these I choose to explore are, shit that really fucking happens to us. So um, um, I'm, you know, quite humbled to be able to do that because there's a lot more uneasiness. There's a lot more conflict. There's a lot more sadness that happens in the world than, I'm not saying that there aren't good, there are. There's a lot of good in the world. I believe that 100%, I will stand on that until my dying day. Um, Yet people do go through depression and insecurities and all these other things that are quite not vocal most times. And um, I more and more am getting comfortable with the fact that me just telling things like it is and what I am going through is in so many ways, not just a mouthpiece for someone else's experience, but it is, um, it's something that comforts you. It's, it's cathartic. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. 100%. I mean, my the podcast. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us. We I use this as a way because depression. When you came, got back from your trip, when I got back, I hit sort of a wall, and mm -hmm. I was pretty depressed because that excitement. You know, we were sort of in survival mode on the road. Yeah. And you have to be vigilant. Yeah. For instance, in New Mexico, I'm getting postcards to send to my mom. And I'm just saying, I need to get some stamps and I want to send this postcard. And I'm in Taos. And it was almost the postal worker wanted to start screaming bloody murder. And I was like, just relax. <laughs> Wait, you're, you're from Austin, Texas. You shouldn't be here. I said, well, actually, I'm coming back from Utah. So... And 
if we need to get there, I can show you that I just, it was just such a dicey time. And what was that like for you when you got back? Did did you have some bouts of? There was, I mean, that's pretty much, that's pretty much, you know, like why I delved into the book was the necessity to escape what my reality really looked like, which was like, I just came, that's why I was saying earlier and where I was like, did I fucking do something wrong? <laughs> Cause I just came right back to this place. Yet I am so changed from that. However, I can't see that at that moment. You never can, right? So like, I just got into like, I, I was quite lucky because a friend of mine was leaving <clears throat> when I came home. And is my neighbor, my really good friend Greg Janukas. Um, uh, he he's just an amazing dude. Um, a lot of the photos you see, studio photos, um, have been done by him. Um, and he was leaving on a trip at that point in, at that time. So I got to at least shift and go somewhere else where, you know, I had to water his plants and keep them. You know, so like there was a shift for me where I had to go, like I went somewhere else, which I was really thankful. But yes, there was definitely the bout of, oh man. And and it's like in everything, right? Like you open your eyes and it just can never be shut again. It's right there. It's there, the seed is planted. And, and so I really wanted to escape what was in front of me. And the best way to do it was to just delve back into those three and a half weeks of just like, that trip. That trip. That trip. Once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. It, it never. I, and, and I was so, sh- I was very, very sure, I'm sure as you were too, that even if I went home, got home back here to Austin, turned around and did that again, it wouldn't be the same. No. No, it won't, no it won't chance. Particularly now, since things are starting to yeah. feel yeah. normal again. But... Uh, are you still I talk about also talk about plant medicine all the time. Mm-hmm. Are you still uh do you use psilocybin for I do. creativity? I do. I I do I use it for creativity? I I don't I think I'd use it to like clear up or like kind of move some of the blockage, you know, to get maybe get back to the heart of the matter, you know? Um I am not doing five grams as I used to almost every two days during the pandemic, you know, like that's not what's happening. And however, just the benefits of having done that are things that I see in myself now. Like, and you know, it's why I I don't know about you. I can only speak from my experience that it's not something that happens immediately. Right. Right. It's just all of a sudden it's like, you know, things I used to fucking worry about. I'm just like, okay, well, you know, cool. It's there. I see you, but you don't really have that much agency over me, you know, as you used to. Um, So, yeah, I'm fully, fully. And, you know, part of kind of how I am, I'd say this all the time. If I seriously, if I was not on stage, I am the dude with the white lab coat in the fucking basement somewhere doing some research. Like I I love 
delving deep into things. So before I started doing my um, doing psilocybin at that high of a dose, I read how to change your mind. Once again, it's the fucking pandemic. There is nothing else going on, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so you know, it, it wasn't like it, it might seem really e very like flow and easy. However, I do a lot of work or I try to do a good amount of work to understand the guidelines of what I'm stepping into, you know? Um, so I'm a huge advocate for it. Um, for also, also, as you know, it ain't really for everybody. Like no, people, I say that all the yeah, time. Yeah, people who have, you know, bouts of like, you know, from what I've read, schizophrenia or whatever, like maybe that's not... You know, um, so I, I think it's the same thing with, you know, with marijuana. It's the same thing with like any it's 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 one of those things where it's like, you know, I, and this happens, you know, when we go on stage, we have people who just show up and be like, hey, you want to hit, you know, of, of, of whatever. And it's like strands are different. Everything is different. It's not like, I mean, if, if you step out of it, you kind of think of how crazy it would be if someone is like, oh, you do pills, right? I do pills, too. So, like, you don't know what this pill is, but it looks like a pill. You want to take it? You know? No. Yes. <laughs> no, it doesn't It doesn't work that way, you know? No, it's different for everybody. Yeah. It's uh, And it's trial and error. I mean, what are your thoughts on... I think I'm excited about what's going on with the so-called psychedelic renaissance, <laughs> but what are your thoughts on pharma entering the realm? I don't know. I don't know enough to talk about it. I, I I know that there was, I know that, you know, this was something that had started back in the day and got stopped with all the, you know, research that were being done because it felt like it was going to um, disrupt pharma 100%. It felt like it was just like, you know, when you, go to the doctor it's not about curing you because they really do so many ways see you as a client they want you to come back for more and more and more and more money mm -hmm. um so the resurgence of like the psychedelic re revolution or yeah pretty much the, the 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 resurgence of that i think is incredible i think it's great um uh, if it makes it readily accessible you know so many times you know, when they say it's, it's, it's about the message, it ain't really about the messenger. So that's where my stance comes from. And the one, I don't know much about what's happening with big pharma, but I know that if it leads to more people, to people not being arrested and thrown into the industrial, like fucking prison system we have. And it leads people, and, and it leads it to more access to people and developing. Then, man, I, 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 it's not that I see nothing wrong with it. I just don't know enough to talk about it. But I, I know that it's a great thing if people are able to have more access to it. So here's the thing: you and I are taking a risk, and we we're talking about something that, um technically is not legal right, right. 
Now, I'm excited because in places like Oakland, Denver, it's been decriminalized. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever going to... It's a different animal to cannabis in a, in a way where I don't think <laughs> you'll just have free access to and to take mushrooms or buy them in a store. I think in reality, perhaps it's just going to be in a therapeutic setting. I mean, right. that's how it's going to happen in Oregon. I mean, ketamine. Ketamine, yeah. That's happening, you know. Yep. In and then MDMA, we're in the third stage of trials before the next phase, which would be amazing uh, because they're seeing benefic beneficial effects for troops who have PTSD. PTSD right. And right. that's a great way to angle it because there are people, men and women, who have suffered from PTSD but haven't been to war. Right. But if, if that's what it takes, great. Right. And I'm all for it, and I'm hopeful because, I mean, I, I still battle with depression, general anxiety, ADHD, mm -hmm. and I'm a huge mental health advocate. But um, it will be interesting to see how that all transpires. I, I agree. I agree. I think it's, it's also an, an amazing time to be living that these things, you know, are... You know, to be able to see <clears throat> documentaries of all the work that we're done with Ado Aldous Huxley and like all these other, you know, and like Tim Leary, Tim Leary, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, and see that, you know, taking shape or the resurgence of that in our lifetime, and and also, you know, we always say that it may not. Like, we think it's impossible until it does happen. Denver was impossible Oakland a long time too. ago. Oakland was Oakland. impossible a long time ago. So it's, you know, there's that line that Muhammad Ali says, impossible is nothing. And if we do believe in energy, if we do believe in <clears throat> manifestations, then we just, I, I got to stay on the lane of positivity. Got to stay in the lane of like I love that that is changing things or a changing. Um, it's a it's a marathon, not a race. You know, absolutely, and it's just beautiful. Also, and that's the thing. Like we live in the age of media and the point where you are able to see these documentaries of like how long shit fucking actually takes, how long it takes. Just continue your drop. Just continue your drop because the powers that be most times want to feed on that feel of, of that, of that emotion of hopelessness, helplessness, you know, um, I really, I'm not moving the needle here and it's easier to say, but just finding a way to block those things and just continue your one drop. Bob Marley talks about it. So many of, you know, I wouldn't even call them the greats. I'll just call them, you know, like part of that, 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 that movement of, of, I believe they're the greats, but like part of that movement of that consciousness of, yo, it's a marathon. Just keep passing the baton. 
just keep passing the baton. It can come all the way down to Dory in 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 uh uh finding Nemo saying just keep swimming. You know, like it's yes. it just just keep swimming. Yes. Just I mean every little bit counts <laughs> and um how you can make a difference is local. For instance, I would love to get and I know it here in Austin it's decriminalized cannabis, but to a certain degree. Right. It's still a gray area. Yeah, it's too. It's I think one of the biggest codes that happened was that you can they cannot test if it's THC or if it's CBD because of the hemp. Like when right. the legislature, mm -hmm. when the mm -hmm. state, when they passed that, it made things difficult for um, law enforcement. Now that's not the case everywhere. No, it's not. Here is more progressive and or liberal uh as far but it just varies and it would be nice to see this uniform where i've had a, a couple of guests uh, andrew d'angelo last prisoner project have you mm -hmm. heard of them mm -hmm. where you have as you know there's so many people incarcerated yes who need to be let free yes and it's out of control and it needs to and it's slowly, but until it hits the federal level, I don't know. I mean, because it's on a state to state. True. Um, yeah, this is one of those. This is the United States of America, right? But this is <laughs> yeah, where it's more than most places outside of this. M more than most places. In the world, this is one of those places, United States, where state by state changes begin to happen, you know, and and it takes a spark. It takes a spark to start a fire. Every little bit counts. Every little bit counts. What are your thoughts about the music scene in Austin? How has it evolved and changed since you moved here? Man, I mean, you know, if you're not... I, it's just the places I knew don't exist anymore. Other places came up. They are doing, you know, <clears throat> amazing things. Austin has gotten to a place where it's more of on this international level where there's a spotlight with like FC and Formula One and all these other things happening. Tesla, of course, there's all these things happening where it's, it's becoming that international hub, right? And the spotlight that maybe was the, there's a bigger spotlight here than than there were before and then and at the same time austin has always been known as the you know live music capital of the world there's always been so much music there's always been artists moving here there will always continue to be artists moving here fingers crossed because so much is happening with um housing and the amount of money that has been here i would say that it was a lot easier back then um, to be able to be around other artists because we could find hubs where it was cheap enough to, you know, to congregate and really iron sharpen it iron type deal. However, so much has changed also in the right direction. There's been um, the genre of music that is 
available on a daily basis here is absolutely blown open as well their acceptance in so many ways of like synth music and there's just there is so much that is happening um that i'm always on that path of if you're not growing you're dying and i i am thankful to be here and to have paid dues and continue to do that you know um uh because this is really where it's at right now this is where it's at and and i feel like i'm in a position in so many ways where you know when it comes to <clears throat> bands that we play with in the same bill are opening up for us is getting bands that i'm like that you they are just phenomenal and i'm like you just you need to be seen you know i i it's things that people did for me you know when i was coming up in the scene as well is is just you have to share the wealth and in rooms that i can walk in that other people the other artists <clears throat> have not been able to get into not by merit but just because of the longevity i've had here i just turn around and you know, toss that baton back and bring them forward as well. That's really how we do make any change. That's really how you 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 live and lead by example. So as much as it's changed, um, I have not much control in that. And the only thing I know to do is to work with what I'm given. And what I'm given right now is uh, all the work with what is around right now is to be able to bring younger artists or they don't even have to be young, just an artist that no one has really, you know, has been given that fair shot. Yeah, yet to be discovered. And I love hearing that because I do get a little nervous. Um, I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of bands uh, locally because of Utopia Fest and, and so forth. And, I do see a sense of community, a strong sense of community, mm -hmm. but I am worried that it's going the cost of living it will be a deterrent. It that's it it's a, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah. yeah. It often always happens. And yeah. then the creative community goes and finds somewhere else and makes it hip. And then the developers show up and like, oh, this is a hip place now. So like, you know. Well, I mean, New York and LA, it's not as though those places have been expensive for a while. Right. I mean, always. And yet people still do. You know, they still keep coming. Yeah. So that's a that's another valid point, yeah, yeah to remain hopeful. Um, and how often are you guys working on a new album? Yeah. Um, uh, so this record isn't out yet. Um, we've just been releasing singles, and uh, we're back in the studio. Um, we're always constantly, you know, working on different ideas, uh, but there's a whole record that'll be coming out soon. Um, I don't have, you know, a release date for it yet. Uh, Garden of Eden that came out um, last month. I yep. think it was June 28th. Um, uh, uh, is, is out and, you know, I've been really excited with the response for that. It feels you know, amazing to put out something that people connect with. 
It's a it's a great song. And then I also I've watched the video and it, obviously there's some psychedelic scenes in that. The cinematography is great. Where was that filmed, by the way? Um, it was all filmed here in Texas. I knew that, yeah, but where in Texas? Uh, there is uh, Crossy Springs, there's Pernalis Falls, and then there is the um, a Butterfly Center out in Dallas. That's where they were all filmed at. Yeah. Did psilocybin influence that at all? I mean, <laughs> no, not necessarily while, while we were... Um, filming right of course um you know there's been this thing that has happened for the band um which is after not playing music or being out around people for as long as we have been um it's been really important to the band myself jt and the rest of the crew that the performances have a visual presentation to it a lot more than i'd say maybe before um just because people are including myself that's the whole thing it comes from me right like i am craving experiences i am creating you know something that is different from what i often see so the only way i can affect that is to bring that into the experience that we you know, um, that we present. So um, I'm really, really stoked and, and I was really happy about Garden of Eden. There's definitely a lot more of, you know, of that coming because, yeah, um, I <clears throat> I feel like so many doors, I'm sure some doors got shut, but so many doors got open in people's consciousness all through the pandemic. And I can only say that coming from me, but and the people I talk to, and I just rigidity is not where it's at. So no. I I I want to continue to put out that vibe as that one drop, you know, that license to um to morph. When do you, I know you don't know exactly when you'll release the album, but you and JT, who's primarily writing the songs? The songs are, we are a team. It's JT and myself. Okay. I write the lyrics um, uh, and the melody contents are, and how things shift is basically him and I neck and neck. I'm going, going at it, you know? Um, I spend a lot of, uh, I spend a lot of time just writing because I can't help it. Um, and it, you know, it's in it's in the car. It's in you know the way the wind blows a certain way, and someone's hair moves. Like that's always there. And some certain times, everything comes at once, which means you know chord progressions, blah blah blah, all that. And then some. And then most times, it's when the music is being played or we're formulating something that. Oh, remember that story, or oh, remember that thing you wrote there. You know, like the coagulation itself, like begins to happen. Um, but it's mostly me and him. This record that is coming out, Jason Burt, um, Electro Funk, um, was a producer for the record and was just really instrumental in uh, bringing a lot of the synth sounds and like 
synthetic drums that are matched with traditional drums and and it was just a really it was a very refreshing approach that we have brought into our live um performances as well and uh yeah i'm i'm i feel like i'm just literally still just tapping at it which is just a really exciting thing for as long as you know i've written music to you know really still feel like because you're never really going to know it all and that's never the goal but to feel excited that there's this other wave that we are in right now it's when yeah when i saw you at antones did you play any of the new tunes yeah. that's what i thought like literally everything you heard was new except for maybe too low to get high of, of course yeah that was towards the end of the like the, yeah the night but uh yeah, and then I could, there was, first of all, your energy's great. Thank I you. feel like on stage, it's a, that's also a separate performance for you. I mean, you're, you're all over the place in, a, in like a good way, in a theatrical way. I mean, yeah. in, in a, um, I'm Superman. That's <laughs> it's, it's the whole thing. It's, the, it's Clark Kent and the Superman, you know? Yeah. Like, I get to be my highest self well that's what i'm saying like you and i when when i met you you're you're low-key and i am low-key i know but not <laughs> on stage you no. have so much more energy no, and i, I love mean, that no i mean i i feel like uh i mean people people show up to man we have this really incredible platform with arts that um you really get to be what people know they can be, right? It's that license. You know, if I'm dancing like a fool on stage, it gives you license to not worry about your little fucking dancey dance. Like, you can do it. <laughs> no, you're that's what I'm saying, man. I appreciate you. Not, it's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's like, you, it. absolutely do can do, you absolutely can do that. Um, and, yeah, I, I, uh, uh, I, I sometimes I feel like, you know, this bear that have like hibernates <laughs> and constantly is just like conserving energy so that I can just get up on stage and like fucking explode. And if that would happen every day, like literally on the road every day or whatever, you know, that that's, that's the, that's like reaching and being my highest self on a daily basis. But yeah, people with, the madness that we're surrounded with and the constant like just monotony that is life in so many ways for people when they go out for a friday or saturday night or whatever to go listen to music or art or whatever people want to be fucking they want to have their mind blown they want they want to be inspired because they get to see themselves in that as well at least that's what i'm bringing to the table is that you this is you as well like you get to see that and and i never take that for granted and it's like you know the 808 drum matched with the traditional drum matched with all the theatrics of moving around most times the most important thing for me as a writer is the message that is being said so that is still there it's like yes you can dance Yes, you can act a fool, and yet at the same time, you can be getting fed mind, body, and soul. I think that's so important. 
And you would categorize, so there is some Western uh, African influences. What Which aspect, like I've read your bio, or yeah. what, what's influencing? I'm, is it the beats, is it the drums? It's literally me. I am. Well, I, I mean, you, I, yes. I just, I'm just, but, say, but I'm saying like culturally. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I there's just. We always see things quite differently, right? So, like, the way my cadence is on a song that seems, quote-unquote, American is so different than someone else would, right? Um, so, that's why we can tap into the 6-8 whatever rhythms and, like, you know, go back into, you know, like, it's just, it's it's... It's all around. It's how I hear things. It's and that matches with how JT hears things, you know. And then you create something different. Yeah, and he obviously brings the blues aspect right. and the American uh, and you as well with your exposure and then psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> well, which, which psychedelics really is social consciousness? Yeah. You know, all consciousness of a different, you know. Um. Well, listen, um, when, when, uh, you have any exciting dates coming up? Um, uh, let's see, uh, we have on the 20th, we have a show. I'm sure this is not going to be out by then. On the 28th of August, we have a show at, um, the O4 Center. It's an acoustic set, which I enjoy doing, being able to strip those things down and just getting them to like the stories of it as well. Um, and then, uh, I, we have some shows out in Houston and uh, on the 27th. We just have a bunch of shows coming up, but mostly it's just spending time in the studio and trying to formulate what this next record is going to, you know, how we're going to release that and just writing new stuff as well. Any festivals? Um, uh, not that I know of. Okay. Not yet. Maybe. <laughs> if, you, if you know someone, you should, uh, I, 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 I'll, Let's talk. I'll connect them. With we'll the come team. back to Utopia Fest. <laughs> I mean, I, think I do love Utopia Fest. Yeah, I think the lineup may be set, but you yeah. know, Travis. I mean, I Utopia is dope. We played that it's a bunch awesome. of times. No, and, I know. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, Kulu, I can't thank you enough for joining me, and uh, it's been a blast. Tom, thanks for having me, man. And I can't so wait to safe. read your book. Yeah. Like, when is when do you think that will come out? I don't know. It's the most important thing was that it got out of me and it's out of me and it's in progress and uh, it will be out one of these days, one of these days, sometime soon. Well, Kalu, I can't thank you enough. Uh, of course, I've got to share with my listeners in the audience some of your music. So we're going to play Garden of Eden, your latest single to fade out this episode. And thank you so much for sitting down with me.
Not good.